Welcome back to Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Bridget Flaherty. And I am Kiana Daniels. And today we are speaking with Evie Rose. My name is Evie Rose. And I guess the easiest way when people ask, oh, what do you do for a living? I have been able to narrow it down to a storyteller and professional bohemian. Writing is and will always be my first love, but I am also now a self-taught like graphic designer and artist, and I do just a whole lot of different things, photography, et cetera. So I just kind of narrowed it down. I'm just going to be a professional bohemian. Wikipedia says bohemian is the practice of an unconventional lifestyle, often in the company of like-minded people with few permanent ties, and it involves music, art, literature, and spiritual pursuits. It says that bohemians may be wanderers, adventurers, or vagabonds. So I asked her, what does it mean to be a professional bohemian? My actual, like, art website, like, um, name, handle, everything is Cellar Door Bohemian. And so it's kind of this amalgamation of a lot of my favorite authors from when I was young to really learning about the origins of why Cellar Door is a 14th century French poet that said the most beautiful combination of words in the English language is Cellar Door. And then movies, books, any story medium is just something that always speaks to me. The ideals of the Bohemian Revolution are freedom, beauty, truth, and love. And those ideals are what Cellar Door Bohemian is to me. I believe so much in those ideals because more than anything, like I think we need to uphold and protect those ideals, but really it's because we need them to protect us as a society. And so I kind of try to do my best to just portray those values those ideals of the bohemian revolution freedom beauty truth and love like that is what i believe in that's my religion that's my philosophy that's my truth it's where i want to live freedom beauty truth and love sounds a lot like healing the bohemian lifestyle reminds me of my mom (laughs) she's like free as a butterfly and like really is a wonder lust of life she just loves life so i can resonate vicariously through my mother with how Evie lives her life. And I think you're absolutely right. It does sound a lot like healing. It is really surrendering to the flow of life, the natural flow of life. One thing that society does is try to put us in boxes and tell us how we should move, when we should move, what we should think. And it sounds like the bohemian lifestyle is free of that, which the healing journey is very much unpacking things that we have been conditioned to. So when I asked her what healing meant to her, she said that the word wholeness comes to mind. It's like I have just been putting myself back together, stitching the pieces of all of the different parts of me. I mean, some of it was out of fear and hiding and shame and masking and shrinking. 
but like some of it was out of like, I actually contain multitudes and that's actually an amazing thing. <laughs> and like, that's not something I should be shying away from. That's something I should be embracing and celebrating because I've had a lifetime of trauma from medical health issues to really all the issues that affect women, sexual assault, rape, violence, those types of things. And especially, again, even as a queer person. And I just had a lot of shit. I just decided that I needed to choose myself. And how incredible is it to think about it that way? I contain multitudes. That's a very powerful statement to say. And it puts me in a mindset of one thing that I say is that we're complex individuals. We're dynamic in various ways, which is the same as we are made up of multitudes. Those are just different parts of ourselves that make up the whole is what she's saying. And I think that it's true because like even you and I, like there are different parts of us that we exercise in certain moments, which is, I think, adaptation, right? I think, again, as society, we are not taught to be our full whole selves, but to be one version of ourselves all the time. Yeah, I, th I think absolutely. We are, we are complex and none of us is identified or can be put into one specific thing, one specific identity, one specific way of being. And Evie and I talked a lot about that, about the multiple things that make her who she is and all the impacts things that have happened in her life that have contributed to who she is. I was raised in what I jokingly refer to as a Southern Baptist, vegetarian, hippie, anti-vaxxing cult. It's a little extreme. Yes, I'm embellishing, but I was homeschooled. I kind of lived in a bubble, but was very aware that I lived in a bubble. Whatever age I became sentient, I knew that I was different than everyone around me. I now know that's because like, I'm a queer person. I'm all of these things that would put me on the outside of all of the institutions that we were a part of as a family. All these institutions, my family definitely believed they had our family's best interest at heart. But a lot of people's trauma comes from early church and spiritual abuse and those kinds of things. And so just kind of living in fear I guess, and a freedom or like the freedom to be myself is what I lacked. And just like knowing that there is a world outside of it, but not having access to it. And so from a very young age, she had to show up in a way that was inauthentic in order to be accepted by her community. And real quick, Bridget, just for those of us who may not know what queer means. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I actually asked Evie that question. So I asked her to describe what does it mean to be queer. So I don't remember who I heard say it, but I love the word queer because it wraps up my sexuality and my gender in one term. And I thought that was really beautiful. And so I really identified with that. Most of my life, I kind of just knew that I was bisexual. Again since I was sentient, like, as a child watching The never ending Story. I'm like, oh, a tree's hot. And then I'm like, oh, 
Celtic Empress is like really pretty. Like, and so it's just like kind of growing up knowing that that's a part of my identity. And then the show Shits Creek, which is my show Blanky. I'm 85% David Rose. Uh, I love him, but um, he's like the pan hero that I needed. So like pansexual would be the kind of what I would define as like how I would romantically be involved with people. And then I just truly love the word queer because, I, again, I think it really does just encapsulate sexuality and gender. I mean, I present pretty high female. My pronouns are she, they. And a lot of that kind of goes back to like what I said about I contain multitudes. So it's not necessarily this like gender thing, but very much a fluidity at my core of who I am. I am more than just Evie because I've lived a life where I have had a lot of trauma, but I also have had like so many different experiences for someone I believe my age and like kind of seen a lot and done a lot. And I just, I like embracing all of those things. Like as I'm finally accepting myself as a queer person and I'm 100% out like um, as opposed to being like 75% out for the last like 15 years I just have been learning what love looks like. My daughter when she was describing her sexuality to her younger brother who's eight years younger than her and she was a teenager at the time so a little kid and he not understanding that his sister had a boyfriend before and has a girlfriend now. And she described her sexuality this way. And it helped me to understand as well. She said, I am attracted to the person and not necessarily their bodies. Now, obviously, that's not all encompassing. And that's a very simple description given to a child. But it helped me as a way to start in understanding what it means to be queer. And I also can understand the challenges, especially growing up with this religious background and feeling as if I cannot be authentically myself without judgment. I think it's a beautiful thing to arrive to a place of fully accepting the entirety of who we are. Just in full transparency, right? I grew up Christian. I am not religious, but spiritual. I believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? I accept people for who they are because I understand the trauma that comes from not showing up as your whole self. Not everybody feels comfortable making the choice to show up as their authentic whole selves. And I think that is like what Evie is saying now because she was 75, now she's 100. She's choosing to show up 100% of who she is. Yes, I agree that often we mask who we are authentically because of the pressures of what society says we should show up as. And choosing to show up authentically as ourselves can be scary, but is also critical to healing internally, but also to changing those standards and those boxes that have been placed upon us. Absolutely. 100%. I have a friend, right? Um, she has MS. She's about to celebrate. This is her seventh year anniversary. For seven years, she has had to get used to this new reality that is that she cannot control. And she recently decided to advocate for herself and everyone else who has MS by joining a committee that is creating the policy around the medications that are skyrocketed and all of these things, right? And so it is like what you just said, like when we are like, yes, 
I'm going to be my authentic self, my whole self. I am confident enough to do that now. That is when we can start to advocate not only for ourselves, but for other people, because we're like, it is what it is. I don't feel like suppressing pieces of me anymore. So I'm now going to live out loud and I'm also going to live out loud for other people and I'm going to advocate for other people. And I think that's kind of like what we arrived to. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a journey. Absolutely. That's a great segue into another one of the pieces that Evie and I talked about, and that is chronic illness and the medical system. So I have had 23 surgeries in my life. The first one was when I was five years old. And that was its own thing. And kind of hopefully this like anomaly. I just I had a hernia. And then when I was 11 ish, 12 ish, I had pain for like six months straight. And my mom was like crunchy before like crunchy was a thing and like really homeopathic and stuff. And so like we just didn't go to the doctor very often. Finally, I go to the doctor and I had a cyst on my right ovary the size of a large grapefruit. So they did a laparoscopy, which was my second surgery, and they just were able to just remove the cyst. But then just a couple of months later, it was back and like nearly the same size and complex, which meant it was inside and outside my ovary. They did a lot of now that I know highly invasive, unnecessary medical tests. It just continued from there with the medical conditions and like having those issues. And then the doctors are like, oh, that's weird. Go about your life. And then it just continued. I would be so sick for like days every month. And it was always just horrible. I ended up finally being diagnosed with endometriosis at 17. I had my third surgery. Just kind of continued throughout my early 20s. Just put on various birth controls and like just dealt with it because doctors didn't listen, didn't care. And like at least At the time, I'm even like a white girl with like decent health insurance and like I can get in the door, but I'm still being treated like shit. So like it's even worse for people of color and women of color, especially. And just like the system is so messed up. And so just constantly being gaslit about like, no, like my insides are on fire. And so I didn't start having more surgeries till my mid 20s, but it just kept spiraling and kept going downhill to the point where it just got worse and worse. And By the time I was 32, I had a complete hysterectomy. So like menopause has been its own beast. But just all the surgeries, all of the highly invasive tests, all of the doctors who don't believe you, who don't listen to you, who dismiss you, who dehumanize you genuinely, that's really been such a big part of it. The modern medical complex does not study women or understand women and women health issues as thoroughly that they do men, which I think is not something that I've heard a lot about. But if you look at the statistics, it makes a lot of sense. It's all based in patriarchy. And I don't know the stats, but I'm curious to look them up on the percentage or ratio from men to women who are doctors. And this also puts me in the mindset of this new show that came out this year called Harlem. And it's centered around four Black millennial friends. And one of the ladies, she had a similar situation. She started to have these passing out spells. And so she went to the doctor talking about this pain that she didn't know what was happening. And it was a white male doctor. And he minimized her pain 
he dehumanized her. And because she was a black woman, he was just like, oh, you just want this medicine, right? And she was starting to advocate for herself. Like, it shut her down at the same time because these are people that we are supposed to trust, yet they are not treating us the way that we need to be treated, which is causing more trauma medically and causing more damage to our bodies because they're not listening to us. And that is a problem. Yeah, I actually saw... um I saw this on TikTok, actually, of all things, and I went and looked up the actual study. But apparently women were not included in clinical trials for medications until 1993. And in 2001, two thirds of medical trials still excluded women. And yet women are two times as likely to have adverse reactions to medications than men. And so this article that I read talked about that gender bias is still very real in the medical profession and in clinical trials. In fact, most studies pre-human trials is mice normally. Most of them use male mice because they're, quote unquote, easier to study. So even today, the drug effects on versus men versus women are not understood very well. For example, acetaminophen, which is an over-counter medication, stays in a woman's body 67% more than in a male body. And so when it says take every four to six hours, women at four hours will still have more acetaminophen in their body than men. And this is across the board. It is really misunderstood. And in Evie's specific situation led to a lot of trauma. I've been very dismissed, very gaslit very kind of like what you were speaking to just kind of treated like a just a body not a person like I'm not a fucking cadaver or just like a teaching instrument having people come in and just in your very most vulnerable places like just so you know like training and, and just being so nonchalant about things especially like I mean when I was 11 and 12 and coming in and they're just taking my blankets off Oh, you're healing really well. And I'm just like, ah, like, I'm 12. Like, you're all growing men in this room. Like, oh, my God. The impact of that is just, I mean, it's lifelong, right? She's 36 years old, 35 years old. She's still talking about this. She still is dealing with the trauma of that. Yeah, that is so unfortunate because you have to walk children, people in general, right? Like you got to walk them through. Consent is a thing, okay? You know, saying like, hey, is it okay if I do this? I'm going to do this to your point to be sensitive and to help them be comfortable so that they are not causing trauma on top of trauma because the fact that they're in the hospital in the first place means that they have experienced some type of medical trauma, right? And so it's just really unfortunate to hear that she has had to deal with all of that in her life with the medical system that we are told is there to protect us and to help us, yet it is causing so much pain and so much trauma. Yeah, so one of the things that Evie has done with that is to learn how to advocate for herself medically and also to help others to navigate the medical system and to advocate for themselves. I have seen so many different doctors. Um, my favorite joke is that I have had more MDs inside of me than an air, a barrel of alphabet soup. Honestly, in my 20s, I still did not quite know how to advocate for myself. 
that was a big part of it. But I saw just mostly male physicians. And I mean, the thing is, all doctors are given maybe like an hour lecture on endometriosis, like of all of their years of medical training. And your typical OB should not be the one treating and diagnosing and doing surgeries for endometriosis. So like a lot of my surgeries were done by doctors who really had no business doing them. So obviously they're doctors. They must be smarter than me. Like they have to be smarter than me. But like really that just means that they at the very least were very good at memorizing a lot of shit for a certain amount of years. But like honestly I have done more research and more education and I have my own experience with it. And then so learning to advocate for myself really changed, but also very intentionally seeking out female doctors. Just the odds for me have always been better when I had a female doctor. I'm not saying all are better, but they at least most of them have the same equipment and have experienced some level of that and have gone through those types of invasive procedures, but also very specifically seeking out trauma-informed doctors and medical practitioners. So for me, that looked like I actually found my current therapist through Instagram. They practice in Utah, but they trained under the Trauma Institute started by Dr. Von Bessel, who wrote The Body Heaps of the Score. So like, I mean, right off the bat, we just really connected. And then I found I have three separate like physical therapists. Uh, one is my sister, who's amazing. She's got magic hands. She kind of discovered her gift when she was helping me recover through all my years of surgery and taking care of me. And just finding a team of women who truly believe in supporting women and believing women and listening to women and like knowing that you're more than just a pile of symptoms and that you're also not hysterical. Honestly, learning to tell doctors, like finding the confidence to be like, you know what? You are not the right doctor for me. And just being very honest about like, you know what? You, you're not operating from a place of first do no harm. I think that is a really powerful thing. And I think we all need to learn how to advocate for ourselves when it comes to medicine. Yes, I agree 1000%. It is important for us to pay attention to our bodies. We talk about that a lot of times in terms of, you know, when we're feeling overwhelmed and stressed and things like that. But absolutely, medically, we should be paying attention to our bodies in general, period. Because our bodies, they tell us everything we need to know from like the mental, the spiritual and everything. Our body is the temple for all of it. Right. And it will give us signs and speak to us to let us know when things are not OK. So being able to know what is typical for yourself and then what is not is highly important because then you can articulate that to doctors and specialists and practitioners. I recently last year had an experience with my OBGYN and when I was a, in high school my mom used to be like you're always trying to go to the doctor I'm just like something ain't right <laughs> because I know my body so whatever it is last year I was experiencing something and I was just like um something ain't right it doesn't feel right whatever whatever and I have a female OBGYN and she's black and I respect her 100% she is one of the best but she from what 
her eyes could see, didn't see anything wrong and was like, oh, it looks normal. And I'm just like, I'm telling you, it's not. What I'm feeling is not, right? And so a couple of days later, I wanted her to do something. And she was like, no, you're good. And I'm like, first and foremost, what you're not going to do is have me waste my time and my gas to come in here to see you so you can be paid. If you're going to get paid, you're going to do something, okay? And so secondly, I was right. You have to be confident in yourself and, again, in your body and what it is telling you so that you can say what you need to say and stand true to that because a lot of times we are right. We're not crazy. We're not, like, they don't always know best. Yet, you know, historically, women have been called hysterical. That is a term that was created for women, basically the the idea that a, a woman who was, quote, unquote, hysteric, hysterical had hysteria, which was her uterus left, like detached from her body, moved through her body and went up to her brain and made her hysterical. Like that was the, <laughs> obviously before modern medicine. But that that idea that women are making stuff up and that it's all in their head is pervasive in medicine today. And so it is often that we go and say, hey, there's something wrong. And I'm like, no, there's nothing wrong. I actually had a similar experience uh, recently with my OB. So um, I recently had a partial hysterectomy and afterwards I knew even I was healed and I'd had some complications, but I'm healed and really go. And I knew that something was still not right. And so I went and they're like, you're healed. You're fine. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, like, it's still not right. And so I was told you still have your ovaries. So it's not your hormones. And I'm like, I think it's my hormones. Like something's still not right. So they did after pushing right after advocating, they did a blood panel and lo and behold, my hormones are not completely right. But what was amazing about my OB is she said, I'm going to be honest with you. I think you're best to go to this more holistic person. Basically, it's the happy hormone cottage is what they're called. And they do a more extensive test. And then they customize what you need hormonally like for you. And what she shared with me is she shared that There isn't medically approved, basically hormone therapy for what I need. It doesn't exist. She said, I would have to, if I, as your, as an OB, were to give that to you, it would be off whatever is approved and it probably wouldn't be covered by insurance and so forth. She said, so go see these more holistic people. Now they're medical, they're physicians. But then they're not covered by insurance. They're not quote unquote improved. They aren't considered part of mainstream medicine because mainstream medicine doesn't basically I have low testosterone and they basically are saying that's not a thing women can have. And there's no therapy for it that's approved. Like the fact that in 2022, I still can't get medicine approved for my even though they know it's a thing like they can show that that's a thing. It's absurd. It is. I think that my belief in when things are not covered by insurance is because it's getting to the root cause. Okay. And it's going to stop you from coming back, right? Keeping that money flow going because the healthcare system is one of the largest money makers in America or in general, but definitely in America. And so it is unfortunate that we then have to pay out of pocket for the things that are going to make us well, you know, because it's not making money over time, you know, because it gets to the root cause 
One thing you said about your doctor or OB is that she refers you to specialists. And I would encourage anybody that when you are looking into treatment to better yourself in whatever area of your body, it is important to look for specialists, people who specialize in what it is that is going on and not a generalist, because generalists are generalists. They know the information about this. They know a little bit about everything, but advocate for yourself to go or be referred to specialists or to seek them out yourselves, because that can make a world of difference and minimize some of the trauma in the steps that we have to take for wellness. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think that's a huge part of advocacy. And also if we understand that medical school doesn't teach all of the women's related issues, we know that we've already proven that statistics show that. So we're going to have to advocate and then we're going to have to find doctors that are trauma informed, doctors that are female informed It can be a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and it sounds like that was Evie's experience. One of the other things that Evie and I talked about has to do with belief. And she identifies as a pagan. Okay, so to be pagan to me means to really be as in harmony with nature and the universe itself. And understanding um, that the symbiotic relationship and that, you know, we are truly and literally made of stardust. And the best um, example I have is one time he was five at the time we were watching one of those like Neil deGrasse Tyson origins of the universe shows. And I had just begun. This was back in probably 2017 and really starting my public deconstruction from like any semblance of Christianity left. And he was like, Mama, like who made the universe? And I was like, "Uh, okay, well, a lot of people say God, but God means different things to a lot of different people. And then he was just like, Okay, well, well, who made God? And I'm just like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Like, okay, not only am I trying to figure this out, but now I have to explain it to a five-year-old. And I just said, let's think of it this way. God is the universe, and the universe is God. And then he just kind of cocks his head for, like, two seconds and then just, like, goes, and then just, like, a big bite out of the air and just says, I just took a bite out of God. (laughs) So, like, that is kind of, like... That's what it means to me. I'm a huge fan of Alan Watts. I practice Buddhism, but to me, that's not religion. That's as much of a practice as yoga. I am delving more into different tools of divination, such as tarot, getting as more familiar with astrology as I can to just uh, learn more about myself. Really interesting way to look at ourselves. I actually talk about identify myself as we're all we're all made of stardust if you think about the big bang there was all of the same particles existed at that time at the explosion of a star and so all of us particles all of what we not just we but the trees and the plant were all made from the same particles which was a dust from a star so i think that's a really cool way to look at at what we are um and I think that that, that word, uh, pagan, it, it can often be misinterpreted or misunderstood. So I, I, I appreciated that she described it in that, described what it meant for her. 
I have to let that marinate and digest it a little bit more. But for me, what I take from that is that we, every human being and nature, we come from the same creator and are made up of the same things, even in our differences. And I think when she says chaos, you know, there is, to me, like, I think our differences are what create chaos, but there is a connection within that because, again, we all come from the same creator, whatever that is. Yes. Understanding that our connection with nature or our our intimate um, relationship with nature allows us to find and see these things, right, these patterns and how we are just, I shouldn't say we are just, we are... Um, part of this beautiful pattern and that understanding and and seeking to understand the patterns that we can see can help us to understand the patterns of of who we are and there's something really incredible about that okay so I did ask Evie about healing modalities so we've talked a lot about you know what she's experienced but let's talk about ways tips and tools things that she that have worked for her and one of them was EMDR which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and it is a therapy treatment that is designed to alleviate distress associated with traumatic memories so it's a newer technique and there have been studies the show we know that we move our eyes to access certain memories so we'll look up or we'll look to the side and our eye movement is matching when we're going to look for a certain memory and so this EMDR uses eye movement to change how a memory is processed and the best way that i you can understand it is it re it removes whatever is blocking the healing of that experience so if I get cut I hit a piece of wood and I get cut by that wood my hand knows how to heal however if a splinter remains in my hand or a piece of the log remains in my hand I'm my body's gonna have a lot harder time healing it and might not be able to heal it, may get abscessed or infected if I do not remove the piece of wood from my hand. And EMDR has the same thought process or, or the same methodology with healing the mind. So if you have a block on um, uh, a traumatic experience, you have to remove that block so that your body can heal it. And once you remove the block, your body processes the traumatic experience and kind of heals it itself. That's in air quotes, heals itself, right? Obviously, there's some work. But that's the idea behind EMDR. And this was a therapist that I had years ago um, before who I'm with now that I absolutely love. Uh, But we we did um, my very, very first session of EMDR. We specifically went back to one of the the most unnecessary, highly invasive tests that I had ever had um, when I was either 11 or 12. And I was able to actually draw a direct line from that to 
a lot of misplaced anger I had towards my mother because she had a lot of the same health issues and my anger, misplaced anger was at her and not the institutions that failed her, something I've just really been processing and, and healing from. But um, like also it helped me draw a direct line to who I am now and why I want to tell my story and why I am a feminist and why I want to be an advocate, why I run a support group, like why talking about this shit matters because so many people experience so many of the same things every single day um, and who are very, you know, they can't mask, they, you know, they can't just hide who they are and so I know I've had pretty shitty experiences but I know it's been far worse for other people too so it's just it's it's it showed up in a lot of ways but uh EMDR was one of those mind-blowing things that actually led to me like writing the book that I'm writing now um that I've been writing forever <laughs> but um just telling my story. So EMDR helped her to see that that was misplaced and it was why she wasn't able to heal from the trauma. And so by allowing herself to be angry at the system, she could then move through and heal some of that trauma and really focus her healing on how can I advocate for myself as opposed to being stuck in anger at her mother who wasn't the cause. Yeah, that's interesting um, how how that worked out. Yeah, and I mean, at the very core of that too, you know, is forgiveness, right? It's forgiveness and being able to redirect so that you can get to a place of healing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I uh, you know, I think the mind is such a fascinating thing in the ways that it protects us, but also those protective me mechanisms often can get us stuck, right? And this this um, therapy technique, this EMDR, which is specifically for PTSD, for complex PTSD and for PTSD to process through trauma memories, um, really sheds light on on that fact that that the mechanisms that served us really well in the trauma experience can get stuck yeah. and and they you know she in her um in her mind you know blaming her mother being angry with her mother served her as a little girl she needed a place to be angry for what she was experiencing but then that that blocked healing later and i think you know our mind is incredible in the ways that it saves us from from the trauma, but we have to understand that that as we grow, um, in order to heal, we have to undo some of those survival mechanisms. Absolutely, and and also I think it's it's coupled with being able to acknowledge what we needed in a season that served us well, and being able to let go of it. And redirect or be open to new in another season, right? So for me, like I'm actually experiencing that now and that, you know, seasons change. And when seasons change, it requires a different version of ourselves, different thought process, um, 
different behavior. And there is a constant, what I'm ex- acknowledging and understanding is that there is a constant kind of ebb and flow of grieving and grieving and joy, right? Because it's like we're grieving parts of ourselves that we felt like really served us well. So it's like we have some type of an, an attachment to it because like, man, it, it, it worked for me. And now I have to let it go so that I can do another layer of healing, if you will, to receive what is next for me. Right. And so that is something that's really interesting that um, in talking with Evie about the EMDR, for me, it sounds a little bit similar and kind of like goes a little hand in hand. Absolutely. So I asked Evie what her closing thoughts were. And one of the things, so she left us with two books, which was The Body Keeps Score. We hear that one a lot. After I read the first chapter, I put it down for months. And then I read the remaining 20-something chapters in like two days. But like surprisingly, the first chapter was the really hard one for me. Um, And then there is another book called Embodied Healing. Um, It talks a lot about a variety of somatic practices. Um, It tells a lot of different people's stories from all over the world. Um, Trauma from, you know, refugees, um, trauma from veterans, trauma from domestic violence. It just just so many things so many people can resonate with. Um, So that is something um, I, I, the Wim Hof Method is fantastic. Um, And honestly, I think just learning to advocate for yourself, especially within any type of healthcare, medical care situation, like when you don't feel comfortable saying that you don't feel comfortable or asking a friend, no matter who it is, a friend, family member, just someone who is that person, say, I want you to come and I want you to be my advocate. You know, I want you to be the one where I feel when I'm feeling shamed, when I'm feeling dismissed, I want you to be like, no, I stop, like listen to them. Those are really important things. And, you know, also just have having the understanding that healing is not linear. I'm sure that's been a really regular theme on here, you know, especially with PTSD, CPSD, CPTSD. Two nights ago, I was having horrible night terrors. You know, I mean, there are triggers everywhere and that's okay. It's about managing them. It's about understanding them. It's not about running from them. It's not about, and medicating, I think I'm a big believer in like better living through chemistry. And I I believe in being on the right medication, but I don't think that you need to be on a medication to run from things and to not feel things, to not deal with things. So the right medication helps. (laughs) And finding a doctor that understands that is very important typically a psychiatrist you should not be receiving your 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 psychiatric meds from a primary care physician that's a personal opinion but uh i will stand by that 100 <laughs> percent. i appreciate that i think a lot of times in the spiritual community there's this idea that the pharmaceutical industry is all bad And we talk a lot about balance. And I think what Evie is saying is to find that balance, right? Is finding healing modalities that work for you, but also finding the the medicine, the science, the chemistry that works for you. And I really appreciated that. I agree 100%. It is a, all all of it is a matchmaking 
process, right? You know, you have to court it all and see what works, see what that chemistry is. And if you feel good about it, move forward with it, you know, because I, I think that is the one thing that we should all give ourselves is permission to try different things that make us feel good and that work for us to be our best. Thank you, Evie, for being with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to share your story, tips and tools. Thank you. This is Tears, Tides, and Transformation with Bridget Flaherty and Kiana Daniels. And we want to give a special shout out to our episode sponsor, Jorge, who did not leave a last name on the Kickstarter campaign. But Jorge, we see you. Thank you. I see. I see new tides carry on through the years, transform through the tears, the audacity of you going through it all, the audacity of you trusting self all along. I see new lights, I see